0: Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Olga Oleksenko, founder of the Strong and Precious Art Foundation.
1: everyone welcome to the jewelry district this is victoria gamelski editor in chief of jck and jckonline.com calling in from los angeles and i'm with
2: Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from JCK World Headquarters in New York City.
1: You're in the office.
2: Yes. And you're you're coming to New York next week, I believe.
1: I am coming, and I'm super excited. So by the time this episode airs, I will be in town for, of course, New York City Jewelry Week, a week-long series of events, exhibitions, presentations, talks, all around jewelry, including one that, as you'll soon hear from our guests, Involves our guest today, and in fact, I'm going to be leading a talk with her at the very end of the week on Friday, November 17th, nine in the morning at Maria Gallery. It's M R I Y A in Tribeca about how precious UA Ukrainian jewelry, Ukrainian jewelry motifs, and the Strong and Precious Foundation. So I've gotten ahead of ourselves because that's what our guest today is representing. So I guess I should go ahead and, and introduce her. But we are thrilled to have. Olga Oleksenko, who's the founder of the Strong and Precious Foundation, a wonderful organization promoting Ukrainian design and craftsmanship, and a cohort of very, very talented jewelers that I've had the pleasure of, if not meeting in person, at least admiring their work from afar. So welcome, Olga. It's so nice to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so Rob asked me about New York City Jewelry Week, and I couldn't help myself. So I want to back up and just say a little bit about how I first learned about the Strong and Precious Foundation. It was the summer, of 2022 and the war in Ukraine had broken out obviously in February, I believe February 24th of 22. And I had heard of some Ukrainian jewelers that were, you know, despite the circumstances of being under siege really and you know, in wartime in their country, were starting to make some creative efforts around jewelry and really trying to promote Ukrainian designs and Ukrainian craftsmanship at a time when things were especially hard. I, I don't know that they've gotten much better, but, um, so I interviewed a few jewelers and ended up learning about this foundation that had just been found by Olga. And we'll get into her story and how she came into creating this really interesting movement to promote Ukrainian jewelers. But let's back up and just tell us who you are and how you got into the jewelry industry. Where where are you from originally?
2: I'm Ukrainian by origin. uh, However, I was and uh, my family moved to Kazakhstan during the Second World War. But then we returned to Kiev. Uh, I was 16 years old. And I lived there until uh, war started. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, my education is not connected to jewelry. I graduated from the Kiev National Economic University, and I have uh, a master's degree in international economics. So, (laughs) very far from
1: jewelry. (laughs) Very far. But then, tell us how you got into jewelry. So,
2: actually, uh, I, uh, so my interest was international marketing and I used to work for uh, the biggest perfumery distributor in Ukraine. Uh, We had all luxurious brands there. And after that, uh, you know, some day I was tired of selling uh, just water, you know, uh, for, for big money. And I decided to go for something uh, very solid, very truthful. And I decided to change my activity uh, and uh, I was offered this uh, job. Uh, first of all, I was invited to be the brand manager of Van Cleef & Der And then I became the director of the boutique of Van & Arpels in Kiev. So this is how I... <laughs> I started connected to jewelry.
1: (laughs) So tell us then when the war started in February of 22, what initially happened and then how did... You come to create this foundation, the Strong and Precious Foundation?
2: The project, you are right, was born uh, in the first months of war. It's like war born child. And uh, of course, it was uh, a big chaos uh, at that time in Ukraine. And uh, the last thing uh, I thought about was jewelry. Moncliffe and Arpel's boutique was closed and it is still closed. So I didn't have my job anymore. And um, in early April uh, I started to think about how my jewelry expertise could wo- work for Ukraine and raise international awareness about it. And I came up with the idea of introducing Ukrainian designers to the global jewelry community. Uh, and I thought that in this way I would promote the whole country. And in those days, uh, Jean the major European Jewelry Fair was about to open in May and uh, by a lucky chance I happened to know one of the founders of the exhibition I think you know him Thomas Farber he's a famous precious stone and antique dealer uh, dealer. I emailed Mr. Farber asking him to help me to get uh, a small space to showcase Ukrainian jewelers and to my delight he answered me immediately he gave me a phone call on Sunday which was I remember Catholic Easter and said he would have given us a whole booth not just small space and it was a miracle and uh, also his partner Mr. Ronnie Tota he contacted me very quickly and uh, we discussed the concept and the name of the future booth and uh, together we decided to all opt for strong and precious. And uh, we saw that this title will reflect the value of Ukrainian talents and their determination to create uh, despite all these challenges of war.
1: I remember when I first learned about it and talked to some of your colleagues, it sounded like just the effort of getting jewelry to Geneva from either Ukraine or from some of the designers who had already fled the country was incredibly difficult. It almost sounded like a a spy thriller, you know, with many handoffs and Cars traveling across the country, trying to get through border points. Was that one of the bigger challenges? Just the logistics of getting jewelry out of Ukraine and into Geneva. Yes,
2: uh, actually, it was one of the challenges. It was one of the problems, uh, and it was very hard moment uh, for launching a Gem Geneva at all. Uh, so those times uh, were, as you know, very big chaos. We didn't have a clear understanding of what to do next or what would happen next Um, and uh, the problem of uh, gathering uh, the jewellery designers and having their items exported from Ukraine was one of it and we succeeded uh, in it in getting uh, the pieces on time. The second problem was the budget that was limited due to the war and my relocation and also we were extremely limited in time as we got the confirmation for our participants participation a couple of weeks before the opening. So we managed to solve all I mentioned above, but too little time and no money were left for the display design. We wanted to grab attention at this exhibition. So we broke some bricks and placed the jewels on these rough pieces of broken bricks. And that reminded the audience how the streets in Ukraine looked after the bombings. And uh, it did attract uh, the attention, and uh, we actually succeeded to make the right statement there. So how many designers were involved? Uh, that time, it was uh, 12 designers we involved, yeah. So 12 Ukrainian designers were showcased during the first... Uh, this, uh, so because we continued, uh, this year it was our fourth Gen Gened, it ended just two days uh, ago and we had eight uh, designers there and uh, in New York City Jewelry Week we will have five designers. actually uh, as we are art foundation we uh, don't sell the pieces during our exhibitions but we are promoting the, uh, because uh, all of the designers have their websites and uh, some of them also already uh, have the contracts with retailers uh, Nomis Brand they have a contract uh, to Dover Street Market actually so we just
1: uh, directly directing clients uh, to websites or to the retail spots. You know, over the summer, I wrote about some of these brands or the ones that are involved in Strong and Precious. And what struck me, and I'd really love for you to talk about some of them, is how how much symbolism there was in the jewelry and how much symbolism that was truly unique to Ukraine. Designs and motifs and inspirations that I'd never heard of. For example, Tripillion culture, which is, from what I understand, one of the earliest civilizations or cultures that existed in where what is now Ukraine. Can you talk through some of the pieces and some of the designers and how they reference this incredible heritage? And then we can talk a little bit about how the jewelry industry has evolved and has fared during the war.
2: Actually, uh, you are right, it- Victoria and um, no, I think that the main thing that makes Ukrainian jewelry stand out is symbolism. Why it happened? Uh, our nation is very ancient, and uh, we have a rich cultural heritage, and we preserve some pagan slave traditions. You probably know that the, uh, uh, you already told that the territory of modern Ukraine was inhabited by one of the most mystical, and at the same time, one of the most developed. nations civilization, the trapelian civilization. They were very creative and they were very well known abroad for their beautiful ceramics. All their ceramics were was covered by symbols and uh, actually everything that uh, People and master of this uh, society created was connected with symbolism, and uh, I think that we uh, uh, modern Ukrainians uh, we have remained a little pagan, and you can perceive it everywhere in our culture. So you can find archaic symbols on an embroidered shirts and old jewels, and each symbol means something. They also mean something uh, special, and. Uh, All symbols also differ from region to region. Uh, Along with uh, uh, ancient uh, symbols, in our uh, exhibition, we also present uh, the vision of um, contemporary Ukrainian designers of modern symbols of Ukraine. For example, Inessa Kovalova she made this brush, which is called lynx. And uh, this is about links of uh, eastern and western part of Ukraine because uh, we have a very industrial design of the brush, but we have very warm uh, yellow heliodor inside it talks about uh, industrial East and uh, more warm and uh, uh, agricultural west of our uh, of our country it also tells about the linking about uh, all people who now apart from from Ukraine and who miss Ukraine so in every piece of our collection uh, you can find a lot of symbolism there is a story about blackout uh, of the last winter in our jewelry there is a story of intellectual potential of Ukraine in uh, Nomi's necklace. So you have to come and see <laughs> because it's very difficult to explain in words. And uh, it's wonderful that the pieces uh, are telling all this story without words in our exhibition.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. The De Beers Institute of Diamonds mission is to grow and strengthen consumer confidence by providing integrity across the natural diamond industry, offering unrivaled diamond grading and testing exclusively for natural untreated diamonds. The De Beers Institute of Diamonds provides diamond chairs with confidence in a report of each diamond's four C's. Every diamond graded at De Beers Institute of Diamonds is also given a unique inscription number, allowing the diamond's details to be tracked and viewed on their website. Visit institute.debeers.com to learn more and register for their grading services.
2: I assume you talk to people in Ukraine relatively regularly. What kind of thing do you hear about just day-to-day life and the mood of people and what it's like?
1: We should note that, by the way, that, Olga, you're calling in from Florida, from Boca Raton, you, where, you, where you've moved. So you were in Kiev, but it sounds like you talk to your family there, I'm sure, every day. So, yeah, what is the mood right now?
2: Yes, I live in Florida now, I've the war with my kids, but my parents and uh, my brother, they stayed in Kiev, uh, and they are currently there as well as the father of my children. And uh, I come to Ukraine pretty often. I used to come six times after war. And uh, I-, I can also describe my own impressions about all this. So it's really hard to put into words, uh, but life in Ukraine is just different from anything else I've ever seen and uh, Ukraine is a large country and many cities are suffering from constant shelling but other might be in relative peace but the peaceful life in Ukraine uh, is sadly also an illusion. However, Ukraine is uh, more alive than many places and uh, at the same time virtually the spirit of war is present everywhere. and. Uh, I also can feel uh, a unity uh, of all our people that I've never seen before. If we are talking about businesses, uh, so they continue working and uh, productions are doing incredible stuff. Uh, and most of all, you can uh, feel a never-ending uh, resilience and uh, facing victory everywhere. So all people uh, believe that victory will come finally.
1: And the production of jewelry, are people able to use their factories and actually be in them? You know, I guess, how has the infrastructure of the industry been damaged?
2: Uh, Well, uh, of course, the war affected all aspects of the jewelry industry in Ukraine. Uh, Firstly, the market shrank straight away, especially during the first months of the invasion, uh, when people had no possibility, no desire to buy jewelry. Now the situation is leveling out uh, and... uh, especially in larger cities and uh, in the cities uh, which are far from military theater. But despite uh, all the horrors of war, people still want to have positive emotions and make their loved ones happy. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, a lovely story from one jeweler of our project about how in the first months of war, a girl from an occupied town, uh, she texted to their office and asked them to put the piece aside for her. And because she was waiting for uh, good internet and couldn't uh, buy it uh, that time. But she was so sure that uh, the occupation would end soon uh, and uh, she wanted to be sure that she could buy it after that. It's an amazing story actually. Let's also remember that all international brands uh, like Cartier, and cliff & graph they closed their boutiques in Ukraine. And this uh, has definitely contributed to the fact that people started to buy products from Ukrainian designers and of course the situation is not the same um, for everyone in the industry small producers they are more, I think, influenced by the challenges of war and they struggle with the increasement of the prices for precious metals like gold and uh, also the access to uh, the precious metals uh, is limited now and uh, they started to use more brass, bronze, silver uh, recycled gold uh, and some designers also looked up original creative solutions and uh, Victoria you wrote about Stanislav Drokin. you remember that uh, Harkin He uh, was bombed very heavily at the first months of of the war, and uh, he didn't have any materials, and he found a fragment of Russian bomb and uh, created this beautiful brooch, which we uh, later brought to Sotheby's charity auction together with other Ukrainian pieces, and it was sold uh, at the highest price. And uh, one of the tasks of our project is to support these jewelers and talk about them and give them the opportunity to enter the international market, Uh, give them opportunity to work, to go on. Jewelry industry in Ukraine is very young, but is led by very talented and brave people. And we don't want that war to take away their future. We want our jewelers to have an opportunity to work and develop in their country. And one of the big issues right now in the industry is diamonds from Russia, mined in Russia. Any any
1: thoughts on that?
2: I can definitely say that there is no doubt that Russian diamonds are blood diamonds. And uh, this is one of the few expert items that brings huge profit to Russia together with natural gas and, for example, oil. Of course, this money is used for the war in Ukraine. And um, I'm happy that J7 is currently very serious about introducing sanctions on Russian diamonds. But in general, I can hardly imagine how this can be done technically, since the raw diamonds from Russia somehow still end up secretly and easily somewhere in India. And after they are cut there, they leave India labeled as Indian diamonds. And uh, there is no way to technically... Exercise control over uncut Russian diamonds around the world and prohibit their flow outside Russia. But I hope, let's hope that they will find a solution. I think that uh, this big period of uh, taking the decision and implementing it, it is connected to these technical problems.
1: In terms of the designers that are now a part of Strong and and you mentioned a few, I guess the one Ukrainian jeweler that I think many Western jewelers may have heard of is, of course, Joseph. Joseph Marshak. Can you tell us a little bit about that jeweler now? From what I understand, he was from Kharkiv, correct? And he, his family, or he did, ended up moving to Paris and then eventually, I believe, to the U.S. But what is important to know about Marshak?
2: Joseph Marshak is one uh, of our inspirations, actually. He's one of Few well known pre revolution jewelers in Ukraine's history. And uh, we are very lucky that some of his archives were kept by his family who fled the revolution and continued his legacy first in France and uh, later in uh, the USA. He was an incredibly talented jeweler uh, and he was also a true visionary and he worked in Kiev. Um, he came to Kiev to study jewelry and And uh, he began his career as a chain maker. But later, uh, he increased uh, in his uh, craftsmanship and he opened uh, a small workshop. And and then he uh, began to increase and increase his business. Both Cartier and Fabergé wanted to open their boutiques in Kiev in those pre-revolutionary years, but they couldn't stand the competition with Marchak on the local market. Marchak had... 92 buildings uh, connected to jewelry production and uh, retail in Kiev. He was also a very talented entrepreneur and he also opened a lot of training centers for his employees to constantly improve their skills and enhance the quality of pieces they produced. Another curious aspect is that he was the first to work with women and uh, he paid equally uh, uh, them. Men and women are paid equally in uh, uh, his uh, workshops. So uh, actually he's an inspiration for um, a lot of uh, contemporary Ukrainian designers. They maybe do not uh, repeat uh, the technique, because uh, a few uh, uh, pieces by him uh, uh, are kept uh, from that period. But uh, uh, the fact of uh, having such a jewelry ancestor uh, is very is inspiring, actually. So what do you see as the future for this project? Uh, we are an art foundation, and uh, actually my primary inspiration for our project is to see our exhibitions presented at the most important art venues internationally. Maybe I'm too ambitious, but I want to think big. And I'd love for Ukrainian jewelers to be showcased at the the museums such as Decorative Arts Museum in Paris, maybe Metropolitan Museum, uh, or Victoria and Albert Museum in London. It's part of my idea that jewelry is art, it's not craft, and it's museum worthy. In the Ukraine, we have a very a lot of uh, creative ideas, and I'd love to see all of them to be realized. And I also dream of curating a bigger exhibition dedicated to Marshak. We uh, used to have the first one during Gem It was our second Gem We uh, showcased some pieces uh, by Marshak uh, along with uh, contemporary Ukrainian designers, but uh, we want to make it bigger. And uh, Even my aspiration for Strong and Precious are not directly tied to commerce. I'd love to see the creations of our talented Ukrainian designers on displays of the most prestigious department stores and uh, galleries. And I sincerely hope that each brand participating in our project uh, achieves significant commercial success, and our foundation will help them achieve that success. So this is uh, how I see the future.
1: Big dreams. I mean, the jewelry is just so interesting and so full of soul. There's quite a bit of Ukrainian soul in it. we really looking forward to meeting you in person, Olga. And thank you very much for joining us. And congratulations on, you know, a year and a half after the start of a very terrible war, you've managed to make something quite beautiful. So congratulations on that.
2: Thank you. Thank you for your support and thank you for your interest uh, to Ukrainian jewelry because it's lovely. It's fantastic. Thank you.
0: Amen.
1: All right. See you soon. Soon.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Riley McCaskill. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.